Hi and welcome to the podcast. My name is Gabe Jenkins. I'm the men's pastor at New Life Church in Colorado Springs. So glad you're listening today. And I want to play a recording from a recent men's retreat that we that we had. We took a great group of guys up into the mountains and um, it, it was a really phenomenal weekend. God showed up in some powerful ways and essentially put a fresh wind in the sails of the men who were a part of this. And not only that, but it was a lot of fun. We were hiking and fishing and uh, soaking in the hot tub and sitting around a campfire and playing basketball. So if you weren't able to join us this year, I really hope you can join us next year. But today I'm going to play a recording from Saturday morning session from the retreat. And this is from Pastor Daniel Grothy, and he gave a message entitled Empowering Fathers to be Spiritual Leaders. And I think you're going to find this to be very encouraging, very helpful, and very practical. And so if you have a pen and a piece of paper, grab it. You're going to want to jot some of this down so you can remember it and uh, put it into practice. So enjoy this message from Pastor Daniel Grothy. This morning I want to talk about empowering fathers as spiritual leaders. Now some of you right away you go, well I don't have children or I'm not married or... Okay, Paul wasn't married, right? Paul didn't have any biological children. And yet, the gospel of the kingdom spread throughout the Mediterranean basin because of one man called Paul. He was a spiritual father. John the Baptist wasn't married, didn't have kids. We're still talking about him today. Jesus Christ wasn't married, didn't have kids. We're still talking about them today. So if you automatically check out when I say empowering fathers as spiritual leaders, I'm asking you to check back in because this is for all of us. And all of us, if we will submit our lives to the Lord, we can live as fathers in the kingdom of God. And so empowering fathers as spiritual leaders, some of you, um, you automatically, when I say that, you flash back to the fathering experience you had or didn't have. I get it. I know that that's a reality for many of you. Um, It doesn't have to stay that way, though. You know, Jesus came to break us free from the curse. Jesus came to give us a new future. And so if you were were malformed as a child under a, a, a dominant father or an absentee father, it can be restored for you today, right? And there's a future for you as a a spiritual leader in the kingdom of God. And so what I want to do today is put nine practices in front of you. Whether you're a biological father and you got little kids in the home. I know I see my friends here who got little kids in the home. I've got three little kids in the home. But also some of you as older sages, uh, 60-year-olds, 70-year-olds, 75-year-olds. And I see... I see some fathers in the room here, Joe Roberts, and I see George back there, and I, 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 see, I see men all over this room who are gifted to be fatherly figures, mentoring and raising up. So Paul with young Timothy, let's use that as our metaphor, right? This young Timothy that Paul saw something in him, and Paul invested and poured his life into him, and when Paul went into his eternal rest, Timothy ran with it, right? So this is for all of us today. And I'm going to put nine practices in front of us just to to whet your appetite, to to prime the pump for you, to get your imagination going on what it might be, uh, what it might look like to be empowered as spiritual leaders. So the first thing is scripture. 
getting scripture in the lives of the people that the Lord has given to us. Scripture. Why scripture? Because I'm going to be dead at some point. And I'm not, my kids won't have my words, right? I, my presence is going to leave them at some point, and I won't be able to coach them along the way. And so scripture, why does scripture matter? Scripture matters because if I can get them in on the word of God, long after I'm gone, they will be spoken to. They will be led. They will be directed. They will be shepherded. They will have wise counsel. They will have wisdom in every situation. So I, as a dad, my voice matters, and I'm speaking life into them, and I'm doing everything I can. But long after I'm gone, the word that will never stop will be with them. And if I can whet their appetites and get them in on it, get them in love with Scripture early, I know that it will carry them long after I'm unable to carry them. Does that make sense? Uh, I was reading studies recently of how much time we, an average American, will spend in a car in our lives. And it's staggering, the, the, the amount of time we will spend in a car. And it's easy to waste the time that we have in the car. We turn on the radio, or we just kind of veg, or we make calls, and that's fine. But I've determined, I've got three little humans, and they're going to be sitting behind me for the next decade, and I'm going to redeem that time. And so what I've started to do is I've started to print off, you know, uh, scriptures. And I'll cut it out and I'll tape it on the headboard right behind me or the, the headrest right behind me because they're sitting right there and each one of them has some scripture. And I, or I'll hand out the little sheets. And on the drive to school every morning, we recite, we read, we pray. And I have them lead me. Okay, Wilson, uh, the, the latest one we just memorized was Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God, heart, soul, mind, strength. These commandments I give to you today, they're to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Write them. The Shema. So my kids learned that before I did. And I wanted them to lead their dad. So every morning on the way to school, I say, kids, Deuteronomy 6. And I'll say, Wilson, what do you got? Close your eyes. You know, no peeking. So he's eight years old, and he's back there, and he crushes it. Okay, Lillian, she's 10. What do you got? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord's one. And I'll say, now, why don't you lead us in prayer based on what you just prayed? And what do you mean? Well, what did you just pray? Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, pray that out. Lord, I pray that today Dad would love you with his heart and his soul and his mind. And I pray that you would write it on our hearts just like we're supposed to write it on the door frames of our homes. And Lord, when we sit at home, when we walk along the road, when we lie down and when we get up and help them, Lord, help us to love you. Amen. Or I could just turn on the radio. Because that, frankly, that's what I want to do. I don't want to do work in the morning. Like I'm exhausted, all of us, right? It, it's harder to do the stuff that matters. It's easier to be lazy and to just mindlessly wander through life. But I realize I got another decade. And far be it from me to waste a decade. Some of you have already done your work, but there's a, a second generation of work for you to do. There are young men that the Lord has put in your life right in front of you that you can help them fall in love with Scripture, and it'll save their life. 
It'll direct their life. It'll shape their future. It'll start to reposition their appetites and their desires. And so if we can help our people, the people that the Lord has placed under us to, to parent them, to spiritually lead them and direct them, the words will carry them long after our words have gone silent. Does that make sense? Scripture matters. The second thing is get your kids or your mentees, the people underneath you, get your, your people involved in your life and your work. I think a lot of times we're told in the society in which we live that our job is to win the bread. Go put bacon on the table. Bring it home. And you got to have your kids in the right cleats for soccer and, you know, just... So we're, we're sort of tricked into just being financial. Uh, we're, just, we're just taking care of people. We're just paying the bills, keeping the lights on. When that's actually like down the list of what we're supposed to impart. We're, we're supposed to impart. And I can't do everything. I, there are very few things I can do well, but there are a couple things I can do really well. And if my kids don't leave my home with a sense of that and with having the chance to put their hands on that and learn with me, do you know we're supposed to like give them a trade or, or skills to not just pay their bills, but we're supposed to help them put their hands on stuff and learn trial and error and practice and figure things out and fail, right? Trial and error. And so to give our kids, I'm, I'm bringing my kids with me wherever I can. My dad's sitting back here, and you've heard me tell stories, but whenever, as a pastor, he and my mom would get calls late in the night. You know, 11 o'clock, someone gets in a car wreck, and you race to the hospital as a pastor, the emergency room. Well, they were determined to take one of their four kids with them all the time. So they'd come wake one of us up. Hey, come on, let's go. We got to go make a hospital visit. I'm seven years old. What? Huh? Okay. Awesome. I'm with my dad. This is cool. And we're talking along the way. He goes, okay, you got, I got my anointing oil. You know what anointing oil is for? Yeah, tell me. Okay, we're going to go in, and it says in the scriptures that, you know, if anyone's sick, call in the elders of the church, and they'll anoint them with oil and pray the prayer of faith, and the sick will be raised up. So we're going to go in, and here's what you do in a hospital room, and here's what you don't do. You know, don't go in there making jokes. This isn't funny. Like, be serious and be respectful and look them in the eyes and be ready to pray. Okay, Dad. Cool. Ryan Witt, dude can do anything, can build anything. He's helping his kids put their hands on something, a project. And so how can we bring our kids into our lives and into our work and to open their eyes and give them a chance to, to thrive? I think in our society now, we're, we're so screen-based, right? It used to be that kids had to be with dad out in the field or out working on something, but... Today, we have to really be purposeful about that. So figure out ways to bring the people that God has put under your care, bring them into your life. One of my great friends and someone who I look, to, look up to the most will say to me, never go alone. Wherever you go, if you can take someone with you, take someone with you. Because the conversations you have on the drive and the conversations you have over that lunch that you have, and the conversations on the way home, that's the stuff that matters. So take people with you. Bring your people along into your life and into your work. The third thing that I want to say is pray. Daily routines of prayer. Some of you will have heard me tell the story, but every morning when we get off I-25 at Briargate, that's our cue. We, we see the green exit sign, 
and it switches between our three kids. It rotates every day, but whoever's, whoever's got it that day will say, this then is how the Lord Jesus taught us to pray. And we all say, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. And it used to be that they would just kind of race through it because they'd finally memorized it. And I was like, guys, I want you to think about what you're saying. So slow down. Our Father. Oh, yeah, that's right. You're the one that's on the hook for us today. You're in heaven. You're in charge. There's no one stronger than you. Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on the playground today as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive me of my sins even as I forgive that punk on the play, playground, you know, who was mean to me yesterday. Stole my soccer ball, you know. Elementary school drama. And so uh, these daily routines of prayer and our kids feel the leadership. It's not dad, the pastor, okay, I'm going to teach you how to pray. It's all right, Wilson, you're up. Because I want my kids to feel a sense of ownership. And so the people that the Lord has put under your care Help, help them learn how to pray. Help them learn how to, to petition the Lord. If you've got young kids, bedtime matters. Bedtime matters. Their hearts are open. They're soft. They're, they're getting tired. They're, they're, there's this, it's, the saints of old would call it a thin place, like where it's, there's a thin separation between you and God. And so daily routines of prayer, a lot of times kids wait for their parents to do everything for them. And as a, as a dad or as a leader, people that I've got that I'm discipling, I, I make them pray. Go ahead, lead us. Because it, it causes you to rise up. And so I think if you, if you will do that, you'll see the fruit of seeing your children or your, the people that you're leading rise up. When they've got scripture in them, back to the first one, when they've got scripture in them, they begin to pray the scriptures. My kids have memorized Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall. And so when they don't know what to pray, I say, just pray what you know in the scriptures. So prayer matters. The fourth thing I want to say is lay hands on them. Think about this. Where, where life goes wrong very often is the improper laying on of hands. Think about this. A dad abusing a young child. The very thing that I'm talking about, laying on of hands, is, has been stolen by the enemy. It's been threatened because of this thing. So what if it's true that the proper laying on of hands is the way that life is secured and life is restored and where identity is protected and where security is felt. And so I'm always touching my kids. Come here, come here, Wilson. Grab their cheeks and look them in the eyes. Hey, get down here. Hey, I love you. You feel me? I'm, I'm your dad. I'm with you. Bedtime, laying, laying on of hands. So you, you, you think about Paul and Timothy. In 2 Timothy 1, we know, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a... Some, like, we know that, but right before that, the verse right before that, Paul says to Timothy, do not forget the gift that was put in you through the laying on of hands. Whoa, like the, something was put in him by the laying on of hands. He says that uh, you got a great grandma and a great mom, Lois and Eunice, they're legends, and 
you got a great heritage. Now, Timothy, you carry that on, and the elders laid hands on you. Don't you ever forget. This is Paul saying, don't you ever forget the elders and I and your mom and your grandma, they laid hands on you. You're marked. You can't get away from it. I believe in this stuff, guys. Like, I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Oral Roberts laid hands on me a lot. I was always around the campus, and my dad used to travel with him and do music, and he'd lay his big old hands on me that he'd laid on two million people, and Father God, whoa, go out under the power. I'm four years old, you know? Just, he, man, Billy Joe Doherty and Linda Turner and Gordon and Karen Fritz and Jim and Pam King and Tom and Susan Newman and David and Becky Grothy, the most important people in my life, constantly laying hands on me saying, you are a man of God. And I've never believed any different. And guys, this matters. This matters. The enemy wants us to be busy. The enemy wants us to miss these opportunities because he knows that if we will just... Take the authority that Jesus gave us. He said, and you will lay hands on the sick and see them recover. Like, do you know the power of your touch? Do you know what you have to give to the people around you? Someone in the office bay right next to you who just looks up to you. There's something about laying on our hands. People start to carry something. There's a transference. And so I want to challenge you to do everything you can, Justin, with your little boy. I know you do it already, but speak life into him. Anoint that boy with oil. <laughs> Call him up, man. Bright future for Elijah. Fifth thing is have a project you're working on together. Have a project you're working on together. We're getting ready to sell our house in a couple weeks and go out on some land with my sister and brother-in-law. And we're going to move into my parents for six or eight months. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> it's a cheap date over there. <laughs> and my kids, they want to buy a cow. Because we've got some land that we're going to be on. So if you've got land, you've got to have a cow. They're eight, six, and eight, and ten, and they just know that that's the right thing to do, is to have a cow. And so I said, okay, well, you're buying it. Okay, great. For the last month, they've been asking me, what kind of projects can we do, Dad? Are there any chores you think? And I said, well, what, do you, what can you do that I should pay you for? <laughs> what can you do that the neighbors would pay you for? Well, we could probably go clean out Mr. Warren's uh, little water feature. It's got a bunch of pine needles and leaves. Okay, well, if Mr. Warren will pay you, you got to ask him. So they go knock on his door. He's 65. Yeah, kids, what's up? Hey, we'd like to earn some money for a cow. Can we clean out your water feature? Well, sure. So they go and get their boots on, and they go out there. It got waders, Cabela waders. Wilson's out there eight inches deep in his waders, you know. He's pulling out leaves, and, and it's all for a cow, right? The other night, I put them in bed, and I hear doo -doo -doo -doo, their little feet coming down, Lillian and Wilson. They, had, they threw a bunch of money on the table cash. Lillian was tutoring. She gave three tutoring lessons to our neighbor, a little five-year-old girl last week, because she, that little girl couldn't spell. <laughs> Lillian can spell. So I said, well, that's marketable. <laughs> so she went over. <laughs> she went over and she gave three tutoring lessons, 10 bucks each. She came home with $30 in three days. And the girl sent her a picture. The, the girl's mom sent a picture of the spelling test. The girl got 100 on her spelling test. So Lillian, man, she... She's going to buy a cow and this girl can spell now, you know? 
And so they ran down, threw money on the table, and they said, can you transfer this into our bank accounts? And I counted it up. It was $81. And so I gave 45 to Wilson and the rest to Lillian, and they're going to buy a dang cow. And there's just something about a family project. There's something about if you, if you got a young buck that looks up to you and you're 60 years old, figure out something that you can do together a trip you can take together. You know, it, the project might be, let's memorize Psalm 121 together. But something to put your hands on and to go in the same direction and to work on it and to check up on it and to, how you doing? And there's accountability there and there's joy when you have the reward. The day we buy that cow, I promise you there's going to be joy. And so have something to work on together. Number six, talk about your failures. Now, I'm not saying, oh, when I was in college at that frat room. I'm not talking about t t telling stupid details. I'm not, no. Have some discernment. Have some discretion. But our kids look up to us as superheroes. Dad. Some of those 35-year-olds that are chasing you guys around, they, they look up at you and they, they see you now at 60 or 65 and they think of you that you've always been that way and you've always known how to do it. But it's actually kind of comforting when that 35-year-old realizes that when you were 35, you had some bumps along the way too. Oh, you mean he wasn't born a legend? You mean he had to learn some stuff? You mean he was on the verge of bankruptcy but figured his way out? Oh, I'm kind of tight too. Now I respect you more because you've lived what I've lived. And I think our kids look at us and they, they, they have this unrealistic expectation. And So one of the things we do at dinner each night is we, we do our highs and lows for the day. Each of us, we go around. You know, this is simple stuff. They're little kids and they think it's a big deal. So Wakely, what was your high? I, on the playground, I, he's six. You know, he's in kindergarten. I beat a fifth grader in a sprint. Woo! You know, that's his high. What was your low? Um, I was second in line. I didn't get to be the line leader. You know, the real low, low for Wakely. Wilson, you know, as they get older, it becomes gradually more complex and nuanced. Lillian, what was your low for the day? Well, one of the girls kind of said something. Dad, what was your low for the day? What was your high for the day? And when they know that I've got lows... And when I take them into my heart, when I take them into my life, and when I ask them, ask your people to pray for you. There's something so powerful. I do this often. Like I'll be stressing about a sermon for Friday night or Sunday, and my family can feel it. And I have two options. One, I just sort of bleed out on everybody, and I'm angsty, and they feel my wrath. Or I sit down at the kitchen table, and I do this regularly, and I say, hey, kids, come here. Come here. I'm... I'm real nervous. I'm concerned. I'm frustrated. I'm, I, I don't trust the Lord right now, and I know that's wrong. Would you pray for me? And they lay their hands on me, and they speak life into me. What? Wait, the superhero needs me? I got something to give? And to hear their prayers, I mean, the prayers of a child over their father. There's something about that. And so when you invite your people in and you talk about your stuff and when you, when you ask them for their help and for their wisdom, what you see is there's this mutuality. 
What I want my kids to know is that while I am their father, I'm also Lillian's brother in Christ. I'm Wilson and Wakeley's brother in Christ. Because if we follow Jesus, that means we all share the same father, which means the, the, the playing field gets leveled in a sense. And so they know that I have a lot to give to them, but they also know that they have a lot to give to me. And if the people in our care don't understand that it's mutual, that there's a back and forth, then they're missing out. They're, something's not right. So share your, share your weaknesses, share your failures, tell your stories, invite them into the process, ask them for their wisdom. What do you think I should do? And there's something beautiful that begins to happen when it becomes a two-way street. That's the sixth thing. Talk about your failures. Number seven, repent. Repent. I love this about my dad. Because my dad, he's about 6'5 now. He was 6'6 then. You know, it happens. Gravity. Big. My dad, you know, big guy. When you're little. 6'6 is, I mean, he was Andre the Giant, my dad. And, but when he would do something wrong, you know what he'd do? He'd get down on his knees. And he'd say, Daniel, come here. I'm sorry. I was wrong. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Maybe the best five words you could develop in your vocabulary. Because when you're the dad, when you're the power player, when you're the leader, when you're the, you, you can work that card. Oh, because I said so. Ah, right? And who are they? They know that we're in charge. And so there can be this weird dynamic. But when you, when you say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Please forgive me, my attitude was. And what I discovered is when I repent early on, my kids would say, it's okay. You know what I would say? No, it's not. It's not okay. My attitude was not okay. You can say, what you're, what you're trying to say is, you forgive me, but what I'm saying to you is what I did was not okay. So please forgive me. And when, when there's that back and forth, maybe one of the great things you can do to the people that the Lord has given to you is teach them how to be humble. Teach them how to be repentant. Teach them how to say you're sorry when you did the wrong thing. Even when your attitude is just a little off, name it. And what you find is you're teaching people how to live. You're teaching. See, kids who learn how to repent are kids who can go into a workplace and be good coworkers. Kids who don't know how to repent because they were never taught to repent are the ones who double down when they're wrong and they're a mess to be around, right? We've all been around those people. Nuh-uh, nuh-uh. Everyone else is wrong, but I'm always right. That's, we can teach the people around us by being repentant first, and then we show them how to live. There's something beautiful about repenting. The eighth thing is help them find 10 aunties and uncles in the faith. If my kids only have me and Lisa, they don't have enough. They don't have enough. But my kids have Matthew and Leah Tistammer. My kids have Andrew and Mandy Arndt. My kids have Dwayne and Ellen that are a part of their extended family. Matt and Tiffany and Brett and Kate, Steve and Holly. Like they have this community around them that, that will hold them. My life 
is marked. I have 25 aunties and uncles in the faith. I probably have 100, actually. And I could go through the list, and all over Tulsa, Oklahoma, if I flew back there right now, I could go knock on 30 doors, and they would instantly welcome me in. And if, if there was anything I needed, they would take care of me. Why? Because my parents did it right. They created a community around me that became a net that will hold me. And so, and, and you know, when your kids get to be older, very often you've been saying to them what they need to hear, but they can't hear it from you. And they need Dwayne Hunt to show up and say, hey, you know, I had several men take me out to lunch when I was in my teenage years or in my college years, brothers of my dad, my uncles in the faith, and they helped me stay on the track. They gave me their wisdom. They, they made my life possible. And sometimes you just need a different voice different people to step in and to secure you. You know, it's okay. We can live without the 10 aunties and uncles in the faith while life is working, but when our worst day happens, that's when you discover you really need it. And as a pastor, I'm with people in the highest of highs, new babies born and weddings and graduations and just celebrating 50th anniversaries. And I'm also with people in the lowest of lows. And what I discover is I've paid a lot of attention in the lowest of lows. And the people who thrive in that time are the people who have 10 aunties and uncles in the faith. When there's a community around them who rushes to the scene and who carries them through. Do what you can, men of God, to get your people into a community of saints. There's protection, there's strength, there's life, there's blessing. The last thing that I want to say is commission them as leaders. My kids, it's not enough for them to just know Psalm 23 and Psalm 1 and Psalm 121 and have those memorized and to pray in the car with me. That's fine. It's not, but that's not enough. Uh, the people that the Lord has given to us, we need to send them into it. Again, Paul to Timothy, do not neglect the gift that is in you through the laying on of hands. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. So get your booty out there and do it. Go do it. So when, when we get off the highway and Wilson or Lillian or Wakely say, this then is how the Lord Jesus taught us to pray. And we pray the Lord's Prayer and we say, amen. Then I take over because I'm going to get the last word before they get out of my car. And I say, and the Lord bless you kids today and keep you and may he make his face to shine upon you. When you're on the playground, I want you to keep your eyes open to help people. And when your teacher needs someone, I want you to be the first to run to her desk to help out. And if someone's crying and they're off in the corner, you race over there and ask them if they need anything. And hey, would you sit with me at lunch? And can I pray for you? Is there anything you need? When you see someone's happy, I want you to celebrate with them and help the rest of the people realize that this is worth celebrating. Kids, you are in charge today. The teacher's the, the teacher's the ultimate authority, but I want the teacher to go home tonight and tell her husband that having you in her class is a dream because you're such a great leader. And they go, yeah, okay, that sounds awesome. And Joe and George, all these guys, I know you've got people around you and I know you're speaking life into them and you're telling those young bucks to rise up and to own it. You're the next generation. It's your time. Step up. You got the goods. And, and especially kids who came from a house where they weren't told they got the goods, they need to hear this. 
They need to be released. They need to have someone lay hands on them and then say, now get out there and go do it. And so there's something about us as men of God that we identify the people that the Lord has called us to lead. We take it seriously. We walk them through scripture. We get them involved in our lives. We pray with them. We lay hands on them. We have a project that we're working on together. We talk about our failures so that they can know they're not alone. We're quick to repent when we need to repent. We help them find that community of saints. But we send them out. We send them out. You know, Jesus told us to make disciples. Our job is to make disciples. And you know you've made a disciple when the disciple becomes a disciple maker. Think about that. It's not just enough to have someone who's growing up in Christ, but you know they've tipped over into a, a level of maturity when that person who's growing up in Christ begins to take other people and grow them up in Christ. And so we are the ones who are called to commission the people in our care as leaders, to send them out, to anoint them, to bless them, to tell them they've got the goods, to encourage them along the way, and to see them grow up and far outstrip anything we could have ever done. Amen? That's what I got on my heart this morning, but what I want to do is pray about this. We've got some time to linger here. Jackson, could you guys come down and just give us a little, little musical backup? I want you to begin to look through your list of notes there, think about what stood out to you, because ultimately the Holy Spirit was going to flag one or two of these for you as an area of emphasis. And I want to pray over you to, as a time of impartation. Some of you look at this list of nine and you get overwhelmed. You go, I, couldn't, I can't do all that overnight. You don't need to. Just pick one or two things. And move the ball down the field like any good offense. You don't, you don't throw the Hail Mary every play. You just move the ball down the field. So one or two of these have been stirred up in your heart and you want to refocus and recommit. Would you just open your hands there where you are? We all know the stakes are high. We're aware of the responsibility. Sometimes that awareness can be crippling. But I want to break that fear off today. And so, Lord, where there's fear, where there's concern, where, where we're so aware of how impossible the task looks, in Jesus' name today, I bind the fear. And, Lord, I pray that hope would rise up. I pray that encouragement would rise up. I pray that faith would rise up. I pray that you'd give us a Holy Spirit creativity with the people you've called us to lead. That there's no template, there's no booklet, there's no manual. I pray you would cause every single man in this room to know what they're supposed to do moving forward. To make disciples. To raise people up. To give the gift that is in them. To lay hands and pass it on, to impart. Lord, we pray that you would make us disciple makers. We pray, Jesus, when we see you face to face, that we'd be able to show you a bunch of people that we brought with us. <laughs> Lord, Jesus, help that to be true. We don't just want to skate by or sneak in. We want to bring a big community of people with us. 
And so, Lord, I pray for everyone in this room, at every job, every place of work, every, every neighborhood, wherever they go, Lord, I pray that they would see the people you have commissioned them to lead and that they would impart what you've given them to, them to impart. I pray that they would speak words of life and see people rise up. I pray that they would lay hands on the sick and see them recover. I pray that they would find kids that have been broken down and that they would raise them back up to life. Lord, I pray that they would use their gifts and their skills and their talents that you've given them and not see them as just a way of keeping the lights on, but a way of teaching people and bringing people into a craft. I pray, Lord, that there would be a great impartation. Would you lay hands on a brother next to you? This is a statement that we're not alone. This is a statement that this is our work to do together. And Lord, I pray that we would live as men of God in the body of Christ and that we would be the community of saints for each other. I pray that we would take care of each other's children. I pray that we would help serve each other's families. I pray, Lord, that we would be men of God for each other. And Lord, it's our desire that we would get to the end of our lives and that we would have lived well and lived faithfully and hear from you. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And so, Lord, today where people feel lonely, where people feel like they're on the road by themselves, where people feel like it's their job and, and if they don't do it, no one else, I pray today they would feel the hand of the Father coming alongside, saying, you are not alone. I pray that they would know that this is not by power, this is not by might, but it's by the Spirit of the Lord. And so, Holy Spirit, would you give us a fresh outpouring to do this work? Would you give us a fresh outpouring that would enable us to stand and to be faithful? Lord, I pray you would give us a fresh outpouring where we're tired and weary, where we need to re-up and get back in the game, that you would inspire us to get back in the game today. Lord, I pray that each man in this place would represent a bunch of men who are going to be made disciples. And Lord, I pray for every one of us in this place that there'd be 10 of us, there are 10 more added, that we would disciple and raise them up. And so Lord, today I pray, would you bless my brothers and would you keep them? Would you make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them? Lord, would you lift your bright smiling countenance upon them? Would you grant them peace? In the name of the Father and the Son, Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.